Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. And on this episode, we'll be talking about some in-flight connectivity trends with Valor Consultancy. But first, I just want to remind our listeners once again that registration is now open for the 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit, happening live in person at the Hyatt Regency Reston, Located near Dulles International Airport in the Washington, D.C. region, log on to GCASummit.com to see our latest agenda updates. And as a reminder, airlines, business jet operators, and fleet operators of all types are free of charge to attend. So I recently had the chance to catch up with Daniel Welch, who is a consultant with Valor Consultancy, one of the aviation industry's most well-known consultancy firms when it comes to all topics and research related to in-flight connectivity. As he always does, Mr. Welch provides some fantastic insights about some of the latest ways in which airlines are using in-flight connectivity, business models that airlines are using, some in-flight connectivity installation trends, some regional trends, and we also touch on the recent deal between SpaceX and Hawaiian Airlines that will bring Starlink in-flight internet on board their aircraft in the near future. So let's get into our discussion with Daniel Welch. Senior Research Consultant with Valor Consultancy. Okay, so Daniel, we haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, I will say you're one of our most popular guests, one of our most downloaded episodes. Um, can you give us some updates on what you've been up to, focusing on, and your role with Valor Consultancy in these first couple months of the year? Yeah, great. Um, it's it's actually been quite a, a hectic uh, start to the year, and uh, and and twenty twenty one. We were in a, a, fo- a relatively fortunate position to um, to to be kept busy um, uh, throughout um, uh, what what's happened the last couple of years. So um, I think from from my side, we've just continued to focus on um, supporting airlines um, and and vendors across the the IFEC um, supply chain. Um, on topics on topics that center around um, things like the evolving business model, uh, portal development, preparing for commercialization of, of Leo constellations has been a, a huge one. Um, trying to stay on top of things like the, the shifting sands that is the IFC competitive environment, uh, and also just trying to give advice on some best practice around the reactivation of Wi-Fi uh, as airlines uh, emerge uh, from continue to emerge from the pandemic. So um, there's, there's been plenty going on. Yeah, and you know, all great topics, all very interesting topics. And before we get into some more of those, I do have to ask, I mean, with you based in Australia there, I mean, how is the, the just the air travel, the kind of commercial aviation uh, industry going there? I mean, we, you, know, you know, we see updates, especially on Qantas all the time, but ha- what's kind of the status of air travel in that part of the world right now? Uh, it's definitely ramping up. Um, I've got a four-year-old that's um, that's, ob- that's obsessed with the fact that we're on the flight path uh, to, to Melbourne Airport. So we're, we've uh, we've been able to benchmark um, the number of planes that that are flying in and out of Melbourne Airport, and um, it, it's definitely now uh, ramping back up again with the uh, the opening of um, or the easing of border uh, restraints um, that, that have existed in, in in Australia, which I think are well are well documented. Um, and it's it's now to the extent that international travellers are coming coming in and out, uh, which is great. And uh, also, um, I'm finally able to go back to the UK uh, to see see my family after like two and a half long years. So, 
Um, things are definitely recovering, which is which has been great to see. Uh, it's definitely slowly getting there. Yeah, that is all, all great news, and, and sounds like you may have a future pilot or or geek on, <laughs> on your hands there uh, that is that is all interesting so you know you know um, Valor is obviously one of the uh, firms that we really pay attention to and, and all the updates and information that you guys provide is always really interesting uh, and like I said it's been a while since we last talked to you so um, one of the first topics I wanted to bring up in talking to you is Viasat's uh, acquisition of Inmarsat, the announcement back in November, as we actually haven't talked to you since then. Uh, and now, you know, we're, we're now in May 22. Uh, obviously, there's been a couple recent earnings calls where a couple of couple companies have touched on that. But I want to I want to start off by just talking about that acquisition uh, and get some insights from you about that. Now, um, what are your thoughts on that acquisition in terms of how it changes the market for in-flight connectivity service providers in terms of competition? Um, obviously, once it's ultimately confirmed, what could it mean for commercial airlines going forward? Yeah, uh, it's been a while since we spoke. Um, I think from if we if we break it down into like the the first of all the benefits for for Viasat, I, I mean clearly. It's it's a massive advantage um, to their global strategy, um, with some short term access to capacity where the company doesn't have any to date, and there's a number of RFPs that will benefit from that ability to to access that capacity across Asia uh, and and some other locations. So, in the short term, uh, assuming that all that does go through uh, and recognizing that this is a complex piece to try and bring together. That there will be that benefit to to, to Viasat and and likewise uh, to to Inmarsat in terms of it'll finally have um, the uh, the North America presence that it's um, that it's been yearning for for so long. So I, I think there are some benefits there uh, into to both companies. So uh, that does make sense with regards to the competitive environment. I think you know to begin with from an airline side I think it's it massively simplifies the IFC options available to to airlines there's now only really one K band player assuming that this goes ahead and we're seeing the same uh, thing happening in in the KU band space um uh, to some extent although as we'll touch upon later um SpaceX entry into the market does shake things up a little bit but we we've always been talking we so we've been talking about the the, the big three um, for the last couple of years uh, in the sense of those that own capacity, Intelsat, Imarsat, Viasat, really starting to dominate the, the RFP um, landscape uh, as, as we've seen backlog grow for all three of those vendors. Um, and so, you know, I think this does simplify that, that K-U-Ban, K-U-Ban uh, situation uh, for, for now. It, I think the move threatens the role of the current value-added resellers of, of GX um, as part of that simplification process. You know, it raises question marks around the likes of Collins, Cita, Tales, um, a little bit to the extent of Saffron, given that Viasat's got a very direct approach to market. Um, and I, I don't really see that that changing necessarily. Um, I, I think for a couple of those players, notably Collins and Cita, I think we're seeing them pivot into more of the the application space around the pipe as opposed to providing connectivity. So 
uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think to any extent that we're going to see those companies go away. It's just going to change the way in which they serve um, airlines or give them some clarity on on where the gaps lie, as opposed to providing uh, that that capacity. So, I think it, again, it all simplifies that that market. Interesting. Yeah, you know, and you kind of touched on it there. It was kind of my follow question was that was just that acquisition followed Intelsat's, you know, acquiring of GoGo pre, you know, prior to that. Do you, if you're an airline today and you don't have connectivity and you're looking at the market, do you feel like there's still a lot of, you know, a wide range of availability in terms of these service providers and service you can obtain, uh, you know, to, in order to have the most competitive offering available and pricing and, and all of that? Um, do you feel like that there's still a wide range of availability in terms of service providers? I, I think so. Um, I, I don't think we're we're looking at a monopoly situation uh, by any means, and I think each of the vendors that exist today. I mean, if we if we include Panasonic and Nuvu uh, in into that space, they each have their own uh, they each have their own pros and cons, which. Airlines need to, you know, really look at on a case, on their own case, um, because I mean, each of those vendors appeals to certain aspects, um, whether that be geographical, whether that be um, serving the the whole IFEX strategy. Those vendors can, with, with a good brief, can certainly put forward um, uh, a competitive uh, response, and and I think we're not in that state yet where it's, you know, it's it's really. Uh, boiled down to only a couple of vendors and, and so that pricing element comes into it I, I still think it's competitive uh, and what we're seeing now from the ngso operators um and i include one web uh, in that uh, spacex and uh, telesat again that's going to add some uh, add some interesting elements to the uh, to the market and you know you mentioned spacex there so let me let me i, I have to ask i mean there was a really big exciting announcements yeah um, last week and obviously this week with hawaiian what what is kind of your your initial reaction to that i mean obviously spacex uh and even they were featured on our webcast last year talking about and, and at the time last year when spacex came on our webcast we were all kind of in the mode like this is years away um you know spacex might be able to provide in-flight connectivity i don't know maybe you know 2025 20, 26 but the fact that they, you know, and they claim along with JSX that they'll actually start offering the service this year. Um, what is kind of your just initial reaction to that entry into the market? Uh, one of frustration, just purely because the fact we we're in the same boat as everyone else, that we we felt this was still a few years away, um, <laughs> and they've uh, they've completely caught us off guard. But if anyone was going to, you know, to to push. Uh, really push this. Um, it would. It was going to be them and, and challenge the, the you know the restrictions and status quo that exist around this industry. Um, they, they were going to do it. So in a way, we we should have known this was this was going to happen. Um, but still, I think the the timings definitely uh, caught us off guard. And I mean, it, it's awesome. It's so exciting for for the industry, business aviation, commercial aviation. Uh, I mean, it's going to add a lot of. Uh, a lot of eyeballs on onto this arena, and um, and, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. I, I I think it's like I said, it was inevitable, um, and I think now it's just it, it'd be just interesting to see how they actually follow up. Um, and I mean, words uh, on a sheet of paper are one thing, and now it's a case of delivering. Um, 
and and I think all eyes will be on uh, those services as they activate, which uh, I have no doubt they will do. Um, the question now is around you know the timelines of those and and what the performance looks like. Um, from from my view, SpaceX needed a you know a proof of concept as all um, as all new services do when they um, when they're providing uh, capacity to in flight uh, to commercial airlines. Um, and with Hawaiian, they've got the perfect candidate in many ways because of the challenging geographic scope within it, within which it operates. Um, and also, yeah, there's there's lots um, in terms of commercials that that will be interesting to see with the portal-less environment and uh, and what that means as well. So, I think um, there'll be a lot of eyes on on these services they come to light. And so, um, yeah, it'd be it's interesting times. It's good. It certainly is. Yeah, it'll be cool to kind of see that first connection to SpaceX to, you know, to Starlink on an aircraft. Uh, I think there's, you know, just there's so much mystique and and kind of uh, uniqueness to that brand. So it is exciting to see them come into the space. And and I think, you know, just on the competitive environment uh, around, you know, how that that affects things. I mean, alarm bells, I believe, will certainly be ringing around, you know, those that exist uh, today. Um, likewise, uh, there'll be an element of intrigue um, around those and, and willingness to see what what the actual performance looks like. Um, and I also think it will instigate uh, moves now from the likes of OneWeb in particular that are close themselves to um, you know to, to bringing services to the table, whether that be directly or indirectly, um, as well as Telesat. So um, I think it'd be interesting to see how those. Um, those NGSO operators now uh, now move as well. We, we've got our first move. It's great. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how it continues to evolve. So, so and let's talk about some of the connectivity that's already in service. Now, one of the uh, the favorite features that I have of, of Valor is that uh, you put out a quarterly tracker of in-flight connectivity installation activity among commercial airlines. In January, you published a blog post that featured some interesting insights at the time, noting that for the second consecutive quarter, again at that time, which would have been the fourth quarter of 2021, that uh, the installation activity for commercial airlines was continually going up, and that was the second quarter that it increased. Now, you know, we're now at about to be uh, May 2022 here. Is that a trend that you've continued to see occur in the first quarter of this year? Yeah. So since that article, we've we've now published uh, what is our Q4 2021 data. So we've got a complete view of 2021, and we're well underway with producing um, that Q1 2022 data, which will be due out at the end of May um, in, into early June. And we have continued to see that trend, which is a really positive headline. Um, so in, in our Q4 data, the number of installed, the installed base of aircraft with in-flight connectivity um, increased to just over 9,500 uh, 9, aircraft, nearly 9,600 aircraft, which is up from 9,300 um, in, in the previous quarter. And that marks the third consecutive quarter uh, of increases in, in that installed base. Um, with that, uh, I mean, some of the, I think the most interesting shift that we've seen uh, in terms of the segments that we that we provide in that tracker has been around the frequency band uh, piece, where we've seen the KU band install base uh, continuing to fall 
driven by the fact that Delta um, are transitioning at the moment from uh, from KU to, to Viasat's K-band service at a, a really rapid rate. Um, and as the knock-on effect of that has been that the K-band install base uh, has, has increased rapidly um, to just over 2,600 aircraft, which is up by about 100 aircraft in, in, in the quarter at net. Um, so it's uh, it's been you know a significant shift there uh, in, in that piece. But across the other uh, splits, you know, narrow body, wide body, regional jet aircraft, the, the numbers on the rise um, from from pretty much North America uh, primarily, but also in other parts of the world, uh, we're, we're, we're finally seeing those retrofit programs um, really kick on again now, uh, and so the numbers are the numbers are gradually rising, which is great. You, you mentioned, you know, regionally there, and that is also, you know, kind of my follow-up question to that is that here in North America, it's almost uh, almost expected that connectivity is is on the aircraft almost every you know airline flight i've taken even though there were there were only a few in the last year or so every one of them had uh in-flight wi-fi and even a few of them i was able to stream and had a pretty decent experience if you look at the commercial airline market globally though and kind of break it down into regions we know obviously north america is one of the most connected where are some of the opportunities for growth for in-flight connectivity service providers? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I think I'd like to start um, answering that question by by focusing in, um, uh, you know, once again on on North America because that is actually where a lot of the growth opportunity lies for for vendors in in the sense that. The, the we know that it's saturated um but there's also a lot of i would call first generation uh potentially uh first generation contracts that are up for renewal um so those early adopters of in-flight connectivity you know we're now 10 years on uh coming out of some of the existing terms and entering re-entering the rfp phase and and we have you know we've seen that with with delta uh that they're often the exception to the rule but in in this case there's there's a number of carriers that you know, of those really large fleets that, that are coming up for renewal. And I think that represents genuinely the the, the, the only realistic volume um, around the world right now. And so there's a there's a lot of interest around uh, around those uh, contracts, and and likewise the the second big arena and an opportunity, if you like, is around regional jets, um, and and that's becoming a, a key battleground uh, as we'll see play out across the next the next few years. Um, North America accounts for something, uh, um, well, for the majority of uh, of regional jets uh, around the world. Uh, in North America, our, our understanding is there's around two thousand four hundred uh, regional commercial regional jets, um, and the next largest market is Europe with with just under a thousand. Um, so it's a substantial size and there's still around 45% of those 2,400 jets in North America that, that don't have in-flight connectivity. Um, yes, they're made up of smaller variants, including the CRJ 100, 200s, the 145s and, and the Dash 8. Um, but still they, what we've seen lately is the trend that, you know, whether that be air to ground uh, and potentially some of the, the smaller uh, terminals that are, that are coming out in the future, those regional jets are certainly uh, targetable by IFC uh, providers and also airlines want to, you know, align the product on some of those um, 
in the in cabin product on some of those aircraft to uh, mainline fleets um, and other aircraft around around those fleets. So um, I think that represents a really big opportunity and, and where we'll see uh, certainly the likes of Smart Sky and GoGo um, uh, targeting their services, uh, their upgraded services, um, but also potentially some of the SATCOM providers as well that, that uh, have, have ambitions of connecting those those smaller fuselages. So it's um, it's quite an interesting one. Uh, in, in it certainly is. It certainly is. Yeah, I mean, we and we even just saw you know a growth opportunity this week again with the SpaceX Hawaiian and, and JSX announcements. So um, you know there there's another one. Yeah, absolutely. But I want. Go ahead. No, no. I, w- I was just going to say I, I completely agree, um, and I think in in terms of uh, would you like me to just uh, go through the other regions as as well? Um, yes, please do. So I think um, when we look at uh, the regions that are, are certainly underserved um, or uh, potential growth areas, I, I think Asia Pac right now is still reeling from um, from from the pandemic, the impacts of that, and the fact that border uh, closures um, are still um, are still having a play uh, in this part of the world uh, and still a, a feature. And so I, I do think the growth opportunity in Asia is is going to be relatively slow for the for the coming years. But that without a doubt is an underserved market in this part of the world. And, and for me, the opportunity coming out of Asia Pac um, lies within the line fit piece, um, just because I don't think airlines are going to be as open to, to grounding um, fleets coming out of the uh, the recovery uh, for a large part of, uh, well, um, as much time as, as required to install in-flight connectivity. So I think for me, the line for opportunity in Asia is, is significant, um, as is, I, I repeat this every time we, we talk, but I, I feel like China will really start to kick on. Uh, we've seen Viasat achieve certification status on its uh, solution. Uh, China Satcom uh, is uh, is currently serving uh, a few aircraft as part of trials on that K band network, um, and I do recognise that that lockdowns are now a a big thing in um, or a current trend in in Ch- in mainland China, but that will eventually shift, and and I do believe that we'll see that domestic market eventually lit up. So um, I do think that's a big opportunity. Um, whilst in Europe, uh, again, there's still a large number of aircraft that are unaddressed by connectivity. Um, and recently, we've seen a, a few carriers been added to Imarsat's European Aviation Network. Um, I, I do think the the status of the bigger carriers like Ryanair, EasyJet, is to go for something more risk averse, like a, a wireless IFE solution. But that does eventually open a path to in-flight connectivity, um, assuming that the install time and business case is there um, down the path. And and I, I do think they that remains an opportunity um, should there be a, a solution that, that meets their very stringent um, uh, criteria for installing connectivity. So I think they're the two big markets that we're, that we're watching at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, Europe is is definitely one that that I pay attention to and 
and you know one of the most interesting ones for sure but yeah it's, it's interesting to learn kind of, kind of that insight about north america so uh you know one of the other topics I, I i do want to talk to you about is just business models for in-flight connectivity it's one of the uh topics that you always have some really great insights on and i want to take the moment just to to read a passage from an article you actually wrote for via satellite um one of our sister publications last year uh, about business models for in-flight connectivity that I think sums up the situation. And I want to um, discuss it a little bit further with you. Uh, in the article you write, paid for IFC remains a popular model across the 100 plus carriers currently serving up internet access within the cabin. The service is typically positioned to passengers in three tiers, messaging only, general browsing and streaming. While the lower and upper tiers are easy to relate to as a passenger, the general browsing package is becoming a tough sell for airlines because of the prevalence of video on popular sites. So let's actually start with that last final part there. Um, obviously, everybody wants to use the modern internet, which you know, for for airlines for a couple of years um, wasn't really the case. You're just kind of doing that general browsing, maybe some messaging. Um, although you, you are finally seeing some streaming enabled on airline flights. Like I said, a couple of the ones that I've been on here in North America have been, you know, provided streaming over the last year. Um, you know, do you feel like right now that is still the case? Obviously, this article was written a year ago, but um, if we just focus on the business models that airlines are using for in-flight connectivity service right now, you know, uh, is that, you know, that general browsing package kind of going away completely? Or do you think that'll stay in this three tier system is, is still kind of the, the popular model? I think, I think we'll see, I, I will, I think we'll see it hang around uh, just because um, the, these switches are, are, are never quick. Um, it, it takes time to, to transition between what we're, what we've seen historically with the browsing um, feature uh, as part of a, a you know a streaming option and a, a messaging option um, to something that that we do see as the trend which is that the IFC service providers are uh, enabling airlines to provide the best possible service either as part of a paid model um, or a, um, a free model and and I mean that in terms of you know there's more capacity now um, going up in KUKA uh, availability of that and um, uh, I think prices are falling um, across the board um, allowing those streaming packages to be adopted by by airlines and so from from my view we are seeing more airlines or will see more airlines uh, have access to those streaming capable services either as part of a paid or um, uh, free model and I think that's that's great because you want to make these services as appetizing as possible particularly when they're sat behind you know that that paid model um to, to appeal to those passengers that that want a reliable good quality service and and i think that streaming quality is is definitely one that will uh that, that will help that particularly if they're surrounded by you know good quality slas that ensure uh, governance around that that quality of service and I, I, you know, to go a bit further, I won't necessarily, necessarily say that we're at a sweet spot right now when we when we think about the model, because if you did a survey of airlines, 
I personally believe that most would want to offer Wi-Fi free of charge to passengers, given all the benefits that that come with that. Um, but I do certainly think we're seeing this evolution of the commercial model around in-flight connectivity from, you know, if you look at it from the airline side, stepping gradually into free as opposed to, you know, moving free to all, which is something that only a few airlines have the ability to do uh, in terms of absorbing that OPEX. Um, you know, and by that stepping gradually into it, I, I talk about offering it, offering free to segments of the passenger base as part of differentiation to loyal flyers or high value guests. You know, those passengers that offer significant return on investment potentially by keeping them loyal uh, and, and happy in flight. And IFEC represents, you know, one of many elements around the airline that can that can do that and drive that satisfaction differentiation and in to your point in north america allow airlines to compete with one another which is obviously a key thing where uh you know where the, the price price is as low as it's going to get and um airlines are looking for other things to compete on wi-fi is one of those um another area where they're stepping gradually into free is to offer free on on highly competitive segments um or offer lower risk, lower uh, risk averse models like free messaging, which is where we've seen a lot of carriers, um, what we've seen a lot of carriers do to date. Um, I mean, that free messaging service is great in many ways, but in other ways, it, it's a step because it's not ideal. It, it cannibalizes uh, potential revenue earnings from uh, from a paid service if, if that's available alongside free messaging um, and, and certainly higher uh, higher value uh, products from the airline's point of view when it comes to browsing and streaming so um, you know I think that step in uh, that step process is is where we are right now and um, it's not potentially the sweet spot but we are getting closer to something that I think airlines will be comfortable around marketing to passengers and, and, and pushing more than what we've seen before. Well, let me ask you just a quick follow-up question to that, because I, I always kind of compare what this business model to what ultimately happened, at least here in North America and somewhat in Europe, with coffee shops and hotels. So, you know, when hotels first started rolling out Wi-Fi, most of them were requiring payment for them. Now they're just kind of taking on that cost of putting, you know, giving, distributing the internet to their customers free of charge and just kind of taking on the burden of that cost themselves. Um, you know, why do you think that model hasn't become as popular for airlines, even though, you know, most, if you have the opportunity to, to grab a sponsor and, and sort of, you know, put a brand on the interface, the, the sort of entry point into the internet access, maybe you can offset it that way. But, but why do you think more airlines haven't just kind of taken on the cost of modifying their aircraft with the antennas, the wireless access points, et cetera, paying for the broadband services and then distributing it for free to to airline customers who obviously want it for free but why do you think the free model just hasn't been as you know as widespread well i mean there's i i love the hotel analogy as well uh, and coffee shop analogy um but i think there's a there's a few some significant differences between uh the two sectors i i mean hotels have uh, access to uh fiber uh fiber like uh, broadband on the ground um whereas in the air you're trying to um and this is something that passengers will regularly forget is that you're trying to deliver wi-fi services to a tube traveling at thirty-seven thousand feet 
compete um, you know, at ridiculous speeds and, and maintain that quality of service uh, as opposed to a building that's fixed um, and, and to users that, that can benefit from that service. And I think that's, you know, technically this is, this is challenging and as a result, uh, costly. Um, and I think an airline's willingness uh, or... As I mentioned earlier, airlines want to be able to offer this for free in, in most cases. Uh, potentially low-cost carriers are an exception to the rule with, with that one. But certainly, the I mean, the ideal end state is offering that that for free because of the eye, eyeballs on the on the service. Um, I just think it's it's incredibly expensive to, to, to do that. And so, you know, and, and it, it has remained so despite the fact that capacity costs are continuing to fall. Those session prices that airlines have been asked to pay by the vendors um, are falling, uh, and we've seen that ourselves. But it's still out of reach for the vast majority of carriers. And so, um, you know, from absorbing an OPEX point of view, th- this is what's really holding holding that back. Um and another thing is is being able to be confident in the service. Um, we all know what our expectations are uh, of Wi-Fi. We, we experience that on the ground. Um, and in some parts of the world, uh, take South Korea, for example, those expectations are extremely high because of the speeds that, pass in, uh, that, uh, that people get uh, when they're browsing on the ground. Being able to mirror that kind of service is, is, is fundamental because even if you offer a free service that's patchy, dropouts, all you're going to do, uh, all you're going to do is incur negativity uh, towards the in-cabin product and as a result, the MPS. And so airlines want to be able to, offer, uh, to, to have that confidence in the service. And, and right now that's definitely, uh, that, well, it's not there, but it's, it's dramatically improved um, in, in recent years and, and will only continue to do so. So I do think going forward with prices falling and quality of service improving um, and all the governance around that also becoming more advanced, I, I do think we'll see more airlines move towards free. But I, I just don't think it's realistic to, to assume that all airlines will be able to do that just because of the OPEX involved. Right. That's a great point. Although, of course, we will be able to get free Wi-Fi on, on Hawaiian flights uh, at, at some point in the near it, future. It looks so that way. That is and, and, and many yeah. other airlines uh, that are doing that. And, and we're seeing that on, on existing service providers. You know, they are enabling airlines that, that buy into absorbing the OPEX in exchange for driving loyalty and satisfaction amongst passengers. Um, they, they are offering free today. And there are many examples of that. Right. Well, Daniel, I think, you know, we always come away from conversations with you uh, much smarter and knowledgeable about the market. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What are you focused on for the remainder of 2022? Are there any upcoming reports, research, uh, events, webinars? you're participating in yeah so we'll be at AIX um which uh we're going to be um we're going to be there and um helping out with a couple of the the sessions that are on uh there um and we're also working super hard on um uh, oh, sorry. We'll be also be at eBase um, uh, as part of that show as well. And so there's a, there's a few events that we're going to be turning up to 
and it'd be great to, to meet anyone that wants to have a conversation with us at those events. So do reach out. And, and likewise, we're, we're now working on a, a number of syndicated projects that we're due to publish in the next couple of months. Um, uh, we're about to uh, publish Flat Panel Antennas Report, which is a, a new one for us. And it's been in the works for, for quite some time. And, and that's focused on comms on the move. Uh, and we've also about to start work on the IFC report, business aviation, maritime connectivity. These, these are all things that we'll publish in the next couple of months. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a busy window for us, but we're just looking forward to getting getting on the road and uh, and meeting people face to face, as I, as I'm sure everybody is. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS Podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.